Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Couch Rotato Podcast. It's October and you know what that means, right? It's Halloween season and to commemorate the occasion, we are bringing to you five episodes devoted to some of our favorite horror movies, whether it's vampires or anthology movies, slashers, or in today's episode, serial killers. That's right. We are coming to you with the 1995 David Fincher Classic 7, and I got a special guest to come on the show and join me, Stephen, who hasn't been on the show in quite a while. I think the last time he was on the show was our Saturday Night Live episode, which that was quite a while ago. So he is long overdue for a visit on the couch, and he's been more than happy to come on and talk a little seven with us today. So, after the trailer, the Couch Potato Podcast presents to you, Seven. Do you like what you do for a living? These things you see? You have to wear blinders sometimes. Most times. Detective William Somerset is looking for a way out. You're retiring. Six more days and you're all the way gone. So how long have you lived here? Too long. Detective David Mills is looking for a way in. We'll be spending every waking hour together from now until the time I leave. I'll show you who your friends and enemies are. Look, I'm going to come inside five years. Not here. Now, we have ourselves a homicide. They're caught in a game. No fingerprints and no witnesses of any kind. Nope. About the only thing we know about that guy right now is he's totally insane. Where the price of sin is death. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony. You're going to come take a look at this. Greed. No one touches anything. Sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. You can expect five more of these. Body was found on Tuesday morning. I hate this city. We're going to get who did this. This will be the very definition of swift justice. There are two more bodies, two more victims. This guy is methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. He's laughing at us. He had a gun. He's two murders away from completing his masterpiece. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow. Have you ever seen anything like this? No. Seven. We got Steven joining us on the program today. Steven, it's been a while, man, since you've been on the show. How you been? Uh, good, man. Yeah. Uh, getting ready for the cold weather, but other than that, doing good. Busy, yeah. uh, busy kids in school and all this stuff. I'm sure you are, too. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. Uh, actually, right before we recorded, uh, my four-year-old decided she didn't want to go to bed. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the theme of this month, and we're doing a string of 
uh, horror themed classics. So I guess uh, pretty much like uh, any parents, one of their worst nightmares on a day to day basis is the grumpy child in the morning. So I guess uh, that'll be my horror story for tomorrow morning. Yeah, you know, I'm dealing with a teenage, I have a 13 year old son who uh, it, everything is is a is it becomes a big deal oh. i feel like every day so i'm feeling that like you know not kind of grown out of like the young kid stuff and i'm like entering this you know all the teenage angst that yeah. i remember i'm uh, my parents i'm starting to dip my toes in that myself where uh it's the they know everything and you don't yeah, and uh, oh, yeah, yeah, like you're sometimes you're embarrassing to be around. I maybe not. I don't know if that's how your son is. But yeah, my son sometimes is kind of oh, no, like, uh, like uh, cringe. Yeah, I, I want to be with my friends. Yeah, we were at the grocery store. Uh, Hudson walks several feet away from me, as if to say, "I'm not with him." <laughs> and I'm like, I think I'm pretty freaking cool, man. Uh, so do I. I I haven't gotten that yet, but I'm sure that's right around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like sometimes like I miss them being like they're dependent on you for everything, and you're like the coolest person in the world, and like all they want to do is be with you know dad, and it's like okay, that's 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 slowly getting away. Yeah, all of a sudden you're a shithead. Yeah, but I also don't mind you know like if he wants you know, want something, he can just get up and get it himself. And I don't mm-hmm. have to make sure he doesn't set the fucking kitchen on fire trying to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, um, no, that is nice that not having to, every time they need something, you have to be involved. That is nice. Yeah. That sense of independence. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, uh, getting back on track. But yeah, we're doing a, a series of uh, horror movies. Uh, no rhyme or reason, just uh, stuff that, it's kind of on the bleak side, whether it's like slasher movies, vampire movies, whatever. We got a cool lineup set up for you guys and gals this month. But um, I kind of wanted to lead off with uh, one of my favorite movies. And uh, one of the reasons I brought you on is I think the director of this film, David Fincher, is one of our favorite directors. We absolutely adore his work. And uh, <laughs> this is his second feature film. We're doing uh, seven today and uh so i want to ask you first uh when's first time you got a chance to check this movie out uh so i honestly i don't think i don't remember seeing this in its theatrical run i think i was a freshman in high school when it came out uh, uh you might I have been in middle school then because uh i think i was 95 okay. i would have been like maybe a sophomore so you might have been seventh okay, grade then, yeah that I think sounds right. So yeah, maybe eighth grade, something like that. But I, I remember not seeing it in the theatrical run, but uh, watching it uh, when my dad rented it at a blockbuster or something yeah. uh, after it come out. And uh, I remember, I remember absolutely loving it. Even as you know, at the time, I was probably more into kid, you know, younger, young adult Teen related movies, movies and, stuff, and then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but I remember really enjoying this one. Mm. I know yeah. when I had uh, seen it. Uh, fun fact about this movie is this movie came out the same weekend as Showgirls, which is the notorious uh, 
NC-17 rated bomb from Paul Verhoeven. And uh, this movie kind of flew under the radar for me. I had never really heard. I'd seen like a couple trailers kind of swept it under the rug. No big deal. And our local movie theater, you had to be 17 years old to see Showgirls. So me, uh, I've probably talked about him a time or two on the show. Uh, my best friend in high school, Jeff, and another friend, we decided we were going to go see Showgirls. And... Uh, <laughs> They were not letting us in. And to even get in the door, you had to show a ticket stub with showgirls on it. Um, well, my buddy had, uh, we had bought tickets for seven because it was showing at the same time. So we're like, all right, we're going to buy tickets for seven, sneak in and watch showgirls. Uh, my buddy knew the usher that was standing at the door. And he said, hey, I can let you in, but that's it. So my buddy and I got stuck watching seven. And I was just blown away by what I had seen in the theater. I'm like, like when the credits start rolling, I was just, I was left like, what was that? That was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, <laughs> and I, and I love how you got saved by showgirls, but I can imagine the disappointment as a young, you know, a young boy wanting to see, Showgirls, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I, so I wanted to see Jesse Spano do a lap dance for Mister Belding. Yeah, yeah, um, I remember that was a big allure to me. Like, I I had just associated the actress with her character. Like, yeah, that just must be her. She must be an activist person, and really, and, and then to, like I think the fact I remember seeing her. I remember seeing a Rolling Stone at the time did a huge, you know, promotional spread on it, and I just I couldn't believe that this movie was coming out. I remember I really wanted to see Showgirls. Yeah, and I was like kind of bummed out like I was going to have to sit and watch this movie 7. And yeah. uh-huh. I remember it let out around the same time as Showgirls and my buddy was talking about how great you guys all Showgirls was awesome like you know so much nudity and you know being like a, a horny yeah, 14 yeah. 15 year old kid that's like all you're thinking about. But my buddy and I are like dude like no there's no way that showgirls was better than what we just got out of. Yeah. And I, when I, I walked out of there, I, I know for a fact, I'd never seen anything that bleak and that dark in tone, at least for something mainstream. Mm-hmm. And this was around the time I really started becoming like a movie fan. And yeah. I honestly, I think for a mainstream Hollywood film, I don't think there's anything that's came out since then. That is this just dark and just bleak, yeah. like just has this shitty, view of the world and society yep yeah it ends dark ends real dark yeah <laughs> yeah no i totally agree with you man but uh yeah i i think it's a fantastic movie uh i would say if i were to come up with a list of the 20 essential movies that kind of define my taste in movies this would definitely be on that list yeah no i think so for me too as well and i think yeah i mean I was, there's probably um, oh my gosh, you brought, there's probably three movies from Venture that would be on my list like that. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, I probably got uh, <laughs> this uh, Fight Club, and I would probably oh. put Zodiac. Zodiac is, like, I think if you're doing a double feature and you really want to just be, like, put into a fucking shit mood on how the world is, watch this and Zodiac back to back. Sure. Yeah, Zodiac's yeah. amazing too. Um, 
yeah, this movie is about serial killers. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, I don't really have an opinion of this. I think it's just it's the fact that sometimes uh, people are fascinated with like the unknown, like how these particular people's minds work. But I just want to ask you, like, what do you think America's fascination is with serial killers? Because it seems like, like the last twenty five, thirty years, like the popularity of people that just do these kind of killings is just like they have like their own cult following. And I just want to know, like, what do you think about that? Uh, You know, I, I haven't, I've noticed that I haven't really, it's not a big thing I'm into myself. Um, But, you know, I guess I, I understand, I can understand the allure of it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think it's for me, I think some of the lore of it for me is just like, just the macabre piece of it. But then it's like, man, you think about, these are human beings doing it to other human beings, right? It, it's almost like it, a part of you puts yourself like, man, could I ever do something like that? You know, or what would what would be, have to be going through my head to be able to do that to other people? And I think that, like, you know, it just causes a lot of curiosity in, in people, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've just always, like, wondered, like, what uh, people's fascination is with it. And, like, I think especially now with like Netflix and like streaming, it's just like, it seems like it's kind of taken off even further. I mean, I even see memes now and it, it kind of, sure. I just find them funny all the time. You see like, you know, like I'm scared to death to go to work, but I'll stay up till four or five in the morning watching like serial killer documentaries on Netflix. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like shit like that. Like, okay. But yeah, I've always kind of wondered like what the fascination with is with it. And I think a lot of it has to do like starting out with like, I, the only serial killer that I can recall is, um, Ted Bundy. I'm sure there's been a couple other ones, but like the big notorious ones, mm-hmm. not too familiar with, but when I was a kid, Ted Bundy was a thing. And I remember being kind of scared that like Ted Bundy was going to get me Sure, you know, yeah. like around Florida, but, uh, that seemed to be kind of taking on its mind of its own. And then like, I don't know, it just, that's a subculture that like, I don't really understand. I think. Our next episode, I might bring that up to our uh, our guest. Uh, this person is a a lover of uh, just not a lover, but she's she's fascinated with serial killers, and she's very very knowledgeable okay, on the like subject. So, I, I think uh, next episode I'm going to broach that topic with her, so I can kind of dig in a little further. But yeah, I'd be curious to listen. That is interesting to see, like why, like yeah, why people are just so drawn into that right so yeah, yeah something next week we will get the answers to that question um but uh last thing uh before i we get into the categories is um i was looking at the 1995 best picture nominees for this year mm-hmm. and it was um sense and sensibility il postino babe apollo 13 and braveheart those were the five okay considered to be the five best movies in 1995. But when I was digging in a little further into some of the movies that came out in 95, I'm beginning to think now that like, I think none of those movies deserve to be nominated for an Oscar for best picture. Yeah. Um, uh, some of the movies that were not, are uh, uh, released in 1995 is, uh, De Niro, Robert De Niro, personal favorite of mine uh had two 
I I consider one to be an iconic movie of the last 25 years. One, not quite, but still a fantastic film nonetheless. Uh, he had Casino in November, and then Heat came out in December. Okay, yeah. Those two movies definitely are better than anything that got nominated for Best Picture that year. Yeah. The Usual Suspects. Kevin Spacey, Benicio Del Toro, Kevin Pollack, a fantastic movie. Uh-huh. Didn't get an Oscar nomination for Best Picture. This movie, seven, not nominated for a Best Picture. Now, I find seven and Heat especially are kind of game changers in like the kind of the crime mystery genre of seven. And then like Heat has been kind of ripped off numerous times with like the heist movie. I, I just found it to be a very interesting, like, I guess look back at like sometimes the best movies aren't always the ones that get like best picture nominations. And sometimes the Academy yeah, gets it wrong you, a lot. Right. Yeah. It kind of gives you an idea of like kind of the, like the, the decision makers, I guess the mindset of yeah. what they considered to be the good movies of that time. Yeah. Well, like um, 12 monkeys with Bruce Willis. That's a great movie. Uh, I would find it to be uh a nominee over anything came out. Apollo 13, I'll say, is probably the most deserving. I don't know. I'm just not as big of a Braveheart fan as I used to be. Okay. I don't know if you've watched Braveheart recently. Just I don't know. It just find it besides the battle scenes be kind of boring. <laughs> you sure, yeah. Um Yeah, no, I it's been a while since I've seen that. I guess I wouldn't put that. I guess if my if I had to choose a uh favorite Mel Gibson war movie. It has to be the Patriot over uh, uh the, art for me. Uh, the Patriot's a fun movie. It's yeah. historically incorrect as fuck. Like I would not yeah, recommend I, I, like, showing that as a, <laughs> to like high school students at all. Like, Hey, this is what happened in a revolutionary war, but it's a fucking fun movie. Yeah. Um, I always say it's the, the battle between Braveheart and gladiator. There seem to be like the two sword and sandals, like the, the peak of that genre and I prefer Brave or uh, Gladiator over Braveheart. Yeah, no, I would too. Yeah, I'm just going down this list here of like movies that came out. Clueless came out in ninety five. Okay, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I would say I, Clueless know, my, is better than my collection of that. It feels like it's earlier, but yeah, I guess that would be ninety five, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I think that's a better movie than anything I got nominated. Crimson Tides, another one. I mean, I can just go down I can find a bunch of Dead Presidents is a good one. Oh, yeah. Uh, let me get a, just a couple more here. Uh, Father of the Bride Part 2. That Okay, that joke completely failed. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I'm just looking at this. Li- get Shorty is another good one. But yeah, uh, I was looking like 95 was a banger of a year. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm looking at this list now. I feel like it's been a while since like this many movies I enjoyed came out, and you know, I feel like a long time ago, I, I a year would produce a lot of movies I enjoyed, and then uh, that has not been the case. I would say in recent years, I I think that uh, the '70s, '80s, and '90s are like the three best decades for film. Mm, yeah, I agree with that. I, I think everything, anything since 99, there's been like years that have been really good. 
but it hasn't been consistently good. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally think like the 2010s, for as long as I've been a fan of movies that I can remember, 2010s is probably the worst decade so far for, for movies. Because I honestly, I can't think of like, I can maybe name 10 movies from the decade that I think are really good and like essential viewing that I could go back and rewatch over and over again. But there's sure. not a lot. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I think seven should have totally gotten a best picture nomination for this just because of how, how much it changed the genre. It's like, it got so many like copycat, that grimy, gritty, like yeah. serial killer thriller type movie. And none yeah, of them. No, I, no. Oh, sorry, man. Go ahead. None of them. Delay. None of them ever got to the the heights of seven. And yeah, I I just I don't know. It's probably personal bias, but yeah, I mean, it being one of my my favorite movies of this decade, it just I don't know. Like <laughs> I have the belief that I think the Academy like should go back every five years and revisit like the best picture winners. And if the movie doesn't hold up well, they could take it back. I'm sure they would take back Braveheart because Mel Gibson is kind of a racist piece of shit, but (laughs) yeah, (laughs) no, no, I agree. You know, I think it's just, uh, probably, yeah, just the dark and grittiness of it was probably, you know, made it to be the case where it wasn't even considered even though i feel like from a story standpoint and um just uh, i think it it definitely deserved to be uh to be nominated that year totally for sure yeah all right well let's get into the uh the categories i i introduced a a, a couple of new categories i i seem to like fuck with these categories a lot i changed the names of them like one of these days i'll get a set name and a set like template of categories but sometimes i'll i'll be uh up late at night i can't sleep or something like that'll pop my head like oh that'd be a kind of a cool category so bear with me these keep changing all the time but um the first uh, category is the uh we call this the wtf is this all about this is kind of a brief synopsis of the movie for those of you that have not seen it which i don't know what you're waiting on it's fantastic uh seven is about two detectives one a rookie and one, a veteran, one week away from retirement, hunting down a serial killer that uses the seven deadly sins as his motive. All right, sold right there. Like that's If I'm a movie executive and you're pitching me a movie, like, okay, I'm in. Who, yeah. do, you, who do you got in mind to be in this? Uh-huh. Um, the Tale of the Tape, uh, this was released on September the 22nd, 1995. Along with Showgirls, if you want, I know we said something about a, a seven and Zodiac double feature. If you want to do a Zodiac Showgirls double feature, don't recommend it because it really doesn't make any sense. But if you want to do a seven and Showgirls double feature, hey, have at it. Reminisce about the year 1995. Uh, this movie stars Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, Gwyneth Paltrow, R. Lee Ermey, John C. McGinley, and... Kevin Spacey, who goes uncredited in this movie. Mm. Yeah, when you, you see the opening credits, he's yeah. not in it. And I'll when we get into the uh, the fun facts about the movie, I I'll tell you why. 
Um, directed by David Fincher, um, Rotten Tomatoes score of 83% from critics and 95% from audiences. This made $327 million worldwide on a $34 million budget. Uh, was nice. nominated for Best Film Editing, but lost to Walter Merck, the English patient. That doesn't hmm. make any sense, but okay. Uh, I think I think Wikipedia led me astray. I have to look at that again. And uh, you can watch this movie on Paramount Plus. So if you have a Paramount Plus subscription, go ahead and fire it up after you listen to us. Yeah, definitely you should. If you haven't seen it, absolutely yeah. watch it now. Um, but uh, this category is Did You Know? Uh, these are fun facts uh, regarding the behind-the-scenes making of the movie. And as uh, we touched on, uh, Kevin Spacey's name isn't in the opening credits. And they wanted to do that intentionally so when he's revealed to be John Doe, the killer, it comes as like a big surprise. Okay. And I guess it's like a narrative thing. Like they kind of wanted audiences to go along with Mills and Somerset. That's Brad Pitt and uh, Morgan Freeman's characters. They wanted the audience to be along for the ride so they discover who the killer is when the detectives do. Yeah, and that makes is, sense. I think, yeah. And this is like probably three months, two or three months after he had done The Usual Suspects, which he was starting to gain like a pretty substantial Oscar buzz too. Okay. So yeah, him, him his name associated with it. Yeah, people would have put that together pretty. Yeah, <laughs> and then if you see Kevin Spacey yeah. and you're not, you haven't seen him within the first 20 minutes of the movie, you're kind of like, okay, he's got to be the killer. Yeah, and yeah, it, you kind of put that together. And I think it, it doing that would kind of like kind of deflate the movie a little bit. Oh no, yeah, I totally agree. I think the like was so much more impactful mm. that way, you know, where you like discover like him when he when he yells in the at the uh the precinct or whatever. Yeah, mm. that's such an amazing scene. And then when yeah, when you see that when you see the actor, you know, it's kind of like in what is it, in, Interstellar, you know, if they had Matt Damon's name in it, you know, and then he's not in the movie yet. Something you're going to figure something is going on with this character. I'm pretty sure Matt Damon's uncredited in Interstellar too. Cause I don't yeah. remember seeing his name in the credits at all, at least in the opening credits. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's uh yeah. But, um, yeah, I thought that was a uh, kind of a cool narrative. And like now, like, Geez, when like after you watch the movie, it kind of and by the time this movie hits home video, Kevin Spacey is pretty much an Oscar nominee at this point. I don't think he, I don't remember when this movie came out on home video, but it would have been close to the time the Oscars were coming. Like they're giving out the Oscars, so it would have been close to when he was he won for uh, Kaiser Soze. Damn it! What a fucking run that is! In like three months, you do Kaiser Soze and John Doe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have like two movies where you have two of these fantastic reveals in them. You know, yeah. those two amazing scenes. <laughs> you know, speaking of runs, um, I was uh, just checking out like uh, some of the uh, like Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, like what they had made coming into this. Um, Morgan Freeman had did uh, uh, he had did Unforgiven which is probably most people would consider to be one of the greatest Westerns of all time. Mm -hmm. Multi, multi Oscar winner, 
uh, he had did Outbreak, which uh, would have really hit home in 2020 versus 93. Yeah. <laughs> um, he did the Shawshank Redemption, and then he did Seven. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Morgan yeah. Freeman throwing heat. Um, this was David Fincher's second directorial uh, feature. He had did Alien 3. And uh, prior to doing Alien 3, he was more known as a music video director and commercials. Uh, yeah, say it. And um, I didn't know it, but he did uh, Madonna's Vogue video. And he did George Michael's Freedom video, too. So I think I, I, think I knew the Vogue video. I don't think I knew the Freedom video. That's cool to know, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know if you ever get a chance to read it, but uh, apparently... He had had a lot of uh, problems on the set of Alien 3. He was getting a lot of interference from 20th Century Fox to where after uh, Alien 3 was done, he didn't want to do a, another feature film. He said in a quote, he said, I would rather die from colon cancer than do another feature-length movie. Oh, man, that's so incredible to hear that, you know, especially how his style that he's been able to... uh Kind of a yeah, he's such an accomplished filmmaker <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to hear him that come out of his uh, you know note. He said that so interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was not a very good experience at all. And I guess like they tried to blame uh, Fox blamed a lot of the problems from Alien Three, which I don't know if you've seen Alien Three or people that listen to this. Alien Three is not a good movie. I think it's the worst in that franchise, and that movie has some turds. <laughs> but Alien Three is probably the biggest turd of all of them. But yeah, uh, I don't. It's been so long since I've seen it. I couldn't. I don't remember at all. But I kind of feel like I should rewatch it again just to rediscover it. Well, I remember when it came out in theaters. I was super excited because I love Alien and Aliens. Those are like, like in terms of horror and like sci-fi. Those are like, those are right up there. Star Wars and like my buddy Jeff. Like fuck Alien Three, we gotta go see it. And like when I got out of this, like that movie fucking sucked. I was so disappointed when that movie came out. I was like, and like, I was hesitant on seeing anything Alien after that because of the stink of Alien Three. Oh man! Of course, oh, like man. a sucker no, really though. Think- when the the fourth one came out with Sigourney Weaver, of course, like a, a an idiot, I went and seen it opening day and was just as disappointed. <laughs> um, but yeah, like when I. I bring up uh he didn't want to do another movie the uh screenwriter for seven uh andrew kevin walter had sent fincher the script on accident and fincher read it and he decided like if he's going to do another movie he was going to do this one so oh man yeah. what, a, what a weird twist of fate that's so cool yeah but yeah he uh he got the script on accident and like decided to uh he was going to go ahead and do it so yeah thanks uh post office for Getting that to the wrong person. Yeah. Get out, man. Um, I thought this was a bit of interesting uh, news. Uh, before Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt were cast as uh, William Somerset and David Mills, respectively, um, Al Pacino was considered for the Somerset role and Denzel Washington for David Mills. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess uh. Pacino didn't do it because he was doing uh, the movie City Hall. Which, yeah, that was yeah. an awesome choice. Um, but Denzel decided to uh, pass on it because the material was too dark. He just like it was 
too much for him, so he passed on it. And then, interesting. And then later interviews, they both regret not taking taking the offers. Yeah, I think now them two, I it's a completely. Hear, we need to figure out who we know that does a good Denzel impression because now I want to hear lines from seven done in an impression of Denzel Washington just right. to hear what it would sound like. Um, I think this is a completely different movie. Um, I think what makes it work so well is, um, I think Al Pacino would have been a little too showy in his performance. I think Brad Pitt gets kind of like the showy part. He gets to kind of like, you know, gets to show a lot more emotion in this. Whereas more Morgan Freeman's kind of like the, the center of the movie. He's the movie, the person that keeps everyone grounded and like he's kind of the calm collected person. I don't think it works with Pacino. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't think, uh, especially at the time people would want him to see a role like that, a subdued role like that anyway, you know? Yeah. And this is Pacino still, still got it. He still has his fastball, but if I'm uh, using like a baseball analogy, he's probably a guy that used to throw 98. Now he's throwing like 91. You still get batters out, but he's not as he's not the Al Pacino from the seventies. Sure, oh, he's, yeah, he's still up there, but like, because he comes out with Heat like a couple months later, and with Heat, fantastic movie. Like, I will rant and rave about that one all day. But then, like, I think that's the peak of his later career, and then he's kind of he's not doing shit like Jack and Jill, which he would do later on. But, but yeah, I don't think that I think. Denzel could have pulled off Mills, but uh, Pacino's not doing Somerset at all. Sure, yeah. No, I think I, if I, he I totally flipped them around that. and made Mills the older cop, I think that might have worked a little better, but I th- I think they did okay with who they got. No, yeah, I'm so, especially hearing that. I'd be, uh, I'm glad casting fell the way it did. Mm-hmm. Um, The diner, which uh, Somerset and uh, Tracy... David Mills' wife, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, that is the same diner used in Training Day where Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke meet for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a famous... It, I wonder, it's the quality it coffee shop in LA. In... Okay, okay. I'm sure you may have... I don't know, you probably heard of it. It's been used in a lot of movies and stuff. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's not a working diner, right? It's I don't think it made, is. It's just a set. Yeah, it's just a set. That'd be a cool thing to own. Have um, that, you know, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, Brad Pitt was injured in the uh, foot chase sequence where he's chasing after uh, John Doe. He put his arm through a windshield. And if you Ooh. notice after that happens, he's got his hand wrapped up in a cast. That was an actual legitimate injury. They just wrote it into the movie. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, notebooks that they find in John Doe's apartment. Uh, those took over two months to write, and they're actually real notebooks. And it cost a hundred or uh, fifteen thousand dollars to pay people oh, to write shit. those. You know, I I remember um, seeing that movie. Not initially, I didn't think this through, but you know, being older and thinking that, and I was like, somebody like actually wrote this. Somebody wrote pages of this, you know. And I thought that was an interesting detail, dedication mm-hmm. to the movie, you know, to take the time to to write that out. Let me ask you this. Um, when you see those notebooks now, because I still see them in grocery stores and like, you know, pe- places that sell stationery. When you see those now, do you have the same feeling that I do? Like, I always think of those as the seven notebooks. 
Oh yeah. Every time I see him, no, I was I like, those, are the, those yeah. are the seven notebooks. Yeah. A couple of years ago, my son uh, got some of those for, uh, uh, I think, see, he's in, yeah, fifth grade. I'm trying to think of when it was. Um, I, I, I said that. I was like, oh yeah, he's got the seven notebooks. Yeah, I think that I think that's a that's a cool little uh, tidbit about that cool little fact that they hired, you know, probably uh, yeah, a company to just write have a bunch of designers come in and man, I'm sure they even talked about like uh, what the you know the uh, what they're going to look like and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Man, but that was a really cool process to put those together. Um, yeah, I I thought that was so cool, and I guess like uh, going back to like uh, the notebooks. Um, the opening credit sequence is supposed to be like if a serial killer was constructing the opening montage scene. Oh, you know, that's, that's a really cool, I remember watching that and not remember seeing, uh, a, uh, opening scene like that. Yeah. I I remember thinking that was a really cool opening scene. Like it had me, I, from that moment I was like, holy crap. I'm like. It's just I'm already open to the story. Yeah, you know? and I, I, it's it seems it's kind of, I don't know, kind of commonplace in movies now. But like at the time, yeah, I had never seen anything like that before. Like it's usually like, I know the '70s they pretty much give you like all the credits at the beginning of the movie. You would see mm-hmm. who the fucking like assistant to the assistant yeah. key grip was, and who did catering and shit like during the first yeah. five minutes of the movie, and then like it kind of gradually. You just got like the main shit, and then, uh-huh. and I, I was like, those are like where they have like the really cool opening montage sequence, or just the cold open. You just get right into the movie, and like it just mm-hmm. has like the name of the movie, and then that's it. You don't know who the fuck is in this, who directed it, who wrote it, whatever, until the end. Yeah, those are the two best ways to open a movie in my eyes. Yep. No, no, I totally agree with you. Um, the last one that I got is uh, New Line Cinema, the company that produced this movie. They wanted to change the ending. They wanted uh, Tracy to live, which I know okay. that's a spoiler. However, this movie came out in 1995. If you haven't yeah, seen guys. it yet, I don't know what to tell you. You've had plenty of time. It's been on fucking VHS for crying out loud. You have VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, you can fucking stream it now. You've had plenty of opportunities in many different formats to watch this. But um, they wanted Tracy to, su- to survive. As a matter of fact, one of the uh, proposed endings was uh, John Doe is holding her hostage and uh, Pitt and Freeman run to save the day. Mm, yeah. and I can, see, I can see studios wanting it to end that way. Yeah, they wanted the happier yeah. ending. And yeah. Pitt... Freeman and Fincher, I guess, if New Line changed the ending, they were going to walk off the movie. Good. They wanted to yeah, keep the good. original ending. And I, I know I had read that the ending was kind of what drew Fincher and Pitt to the project. Was This doesn't end on a happy note. Yeah. And they compromised it. Originally, it was supposed to be Pitt shoots John Doe and it just cuts to black. That's it which that was the original ending. And then they added the Freeman like voiceover at the end about, you know, like uh, the world's a, like a, a great place worth saving 
something like that. And he says, I agree with the yeah, second part of it. I agree with the second one. Yeah. Yeah. So they kind of compromise. And I guess to this day, Fincher and Pitt hate that. They just wanted it to oh, end. They, added, they just wanted to end there. Yeah. 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 Which um, I know I watch a lot of my movies uh, through streaming now. Like I buy them on digital. That's one of the things I miss is the director's commentary. Mm-hmm. I miss watching movies with that. And I tried to find a version that had like the running commentary where I could put my headphones in and watch it on like YouTube. And I couldn't find it anywhere. This would have been a really cool one to, to dig into. But yeah, they, that was the original. They wanted to change the ending of it. And you know, that I'm so glad they didn't, you know, I, that's uh, a thing that always stuck out to me about that movie is like, man, you don't end that movie like feeling good. You know, like you end it and it's just, you just think about, yeah, uh, I think know, it's, like, I think it would have really just killed the whole, like the movie if it ended that way, because that movie, it's raining all the time. It's mm-hmm. never sunny. There's no, there might be a couple of quick one liners in it, but there's no humor in this at all outside of the, yeah. the R. Lee Ermy one liner than when they find the dog at you know the final scene and then uh the dog is dead and kevin spacey's character says i didn't do that like those are the only two Mm -hmm. bits of humor in it and i think it's meant to be like i've always looked at seven as i think it's purgatory before Mm -hmm. you get to hell yeah and then like you know like it's kind of supposed to be the embodiment of that and then like you're in hell after that so yeah Yeah, a detail about that uh, I've always thought interesting. I've never looked it up, but I should to see if there's any meaning or symbolism to it. As you'd mentioned, that it's always raining, uh, and I think the only scene it's not raining is at the end when they go when they leave the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and even the color palette changes. Right, it becomes really orange, and uh, so yeah, it's really interesting that uh, uh, that stark dynamic between that that change in location. Uh, where the story's taking place. Yeah, imagine like watching it in a movie theater and it's been like kind of a dark, grim movie the entire time and then it's like, boom, all of a sudden like, oh, fuck, uh-huh. fuck my sunglasses yeah. that. Yeah, I I never really put two and two together with that, but yeah, it's almost like, okay, you're coming towards the end of the road and you know, and I think it's supposed to symbolize like, okay, and I think it's supposed to be kind of like a, a way to throw the audience off because you're led to believe the whole time like, they're just they're rapid. This is the bow on the end of the story. Like they've mm-hmm. they've got him. He's taken him to the last two victims. This is going to close the case, and then boom, that f- fantastic fucking twist. Yeah, uh-huh. which we'll get into that here shortly. Um, but yeah, that's all I got for fun facts. I don't know if you had anything you'd seen research in the movie. Or- uh, you know, one something I thought was interesting is that John Doe was. Uh, they, I don't want to say almost cast. I think they wanted to cast Ned Beatty. No, uh, I don't no know if way. you saw that. Yeah, yeah, they wanted to cast Ned Beatty uh, for John Day, who's offered the role I had saw. So I don't want to say they almost cast him. I don't think he took it, but yeah, Ned Beatty. And I think it's, uh, I saw it as like they felt like he looked like um, his resemblance to a sketch of the Zodiac Killer or something like that. Are you uh, Ned, that, yeah. Ned Beatty like fucking... Deliverance, Ned Beatty. Yeah. Yeah, no, Ned Beatty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no yeah. way, dude. Like, I always, like, 
Ned Beatty has been in some great movies. He was in Network. He was in Deliverance. I don't know why I always remember Ned Beatty as Gene Hackman's bumbling sidekick in Superman. Yeah, I can never uh, see that, him in anything that, else oh, but I that. Sure too, yeah. So yeah, just to see him as like the as that uh, in that role, I just couldn't even picture it. No, like honestly, I don't think they could have cast anybody. Like this movie, like part of the reason why it works so well is Kevin Spacey, like all the, the shit he's gotten into and like, you know, the stuff we found out about him in recent years, like just strictly on a performance level, like that guy has few peers, at least he had a stretch where like he had very few equals and mm-hmm. he is just, I think you have to have a certain kind of delivery. Like he had to be very cold. And I think he does like cold better than anybody, like not sure, yeah. like not caring about anything. Just I think there's he's as good as it gets when it comes to that kind of demeanor. And I think like sure, no one yeah. else, especially not fucking Ned Beatty. Yeah, <laughs> I totally agree. You said that I'm like, oh, you're fucking full of my chain. <laughs> yeah. All right, we've uh, this next category we've called it a couple different things. Uh, we're calling it right now. There is a meme that I've seen where it's Martin Scorsese. This Martin Scorsese behind a, a black backdrop, and it says, this is cinema. So we're calling this the Martin Scorsese, this is cinema award for the best scene of the movie. So uh want to get your thoughts. Well, what do you think is the best scene in this movie? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, it's, I think a scene that oh, it has always stood out to me be just because of the... Uh, it's the scene where uh, the... Um, the victim for sloth, you know, they get the call They're They're in the room. And uh, I think one of the cops is really close to him and he says something like you deserved every point of this, but then they realize he's still alive and he breathes. Uh, and then just like, I remember my reaction as a viewer. And then I think everyone's reaction in the scene mm-hmm. was really cool. And a cool thing that I read about that is, you know, I think, I, I don't know if this is true, but they, Read that Fincher didn't tell them that they thought yeah. that was a prosthetic, and yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, and so like everyone, those reactions were genuine, you know. And I think it really helped with that scene. Yeah, that's John C. McGinley. That's the cop. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, that says that. Yeah. So um, anyway, that's one. I think that whole. Yeah, there's a, there's several of them. I think that's one that always stands out to me. I think that's just a. Just the tension in that scene, and it just uh, how grotesque the scene is, and everything like that. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, I, for me, I had it was really close, but it's essentially it's between like essentially at the last twenty minutes of the movie, it's the uh, the car ride to the where the the last victims are at between mm-hmm. uh, Pitt, Freeman, and Spacey. Yeah. Uh, that's just an incredible like bit of. Uh, acting with Spacey and even Pitt is really good in that too. Uh, especially once Spacey's gotten under his skin. Yeah. Finally. But uh I mean for me I think cuz I watched it again this morning the uh the what's in the box scene the finale. Okay, yeah. That is still like man I was still on like edge watch like I was sitting on the edge of my chair watching that this morning like I know what's going to happen. Like yeah. I know Everything happens, and to me, that was still just as shocking as the first time I seen it when 
Freeman opens up the box and it's, they never really, they don't show it, but it's pretty much alluded to yeah. that it's uh-huh. Brad Pitt's pregnant wife's head. And that leads yeah. to the, right. the finale, the, the phenomenal twist where the last two, uh, I guess sins that yet that need to be rectified are envy and wrath and mm-hmm. uh, John Doe's characters envy and Pitt kills him because he's so angry. And, and I, I just really like that because it, for me, it really becomes it. When Pitt kind of realizes that like, this could be his wife. I really like the fact that it goes from being essentially Freeman and Pitt against Spacey, you know, the good guys versus the bad guys. It changes from that dynamic to it's Pitt trying to fight what he should do versus what he wants to do. Yeah. And then he eventually like his anger overtakes him and then he does what he wants to do, which is alluded to in the car ride. And he ends up killing John Uh Doe and just like, it's still to this day, like there has not been an ending to a movie that has left me just completely speechless like that one has. Yeah. You know, there's one, I, I wish I had the ability to erase. There's shows and movies. I wish I can erase from my memory to re-experience again. And I would say this is definitely one of them mm-hmm. that on that real, yeah. Like you said, that realization. And then um, for me, it's like, it's not implicit. Like it's, it's not immediate. Like, and I, what I love about it is you're like, it's not until I think Kevin Spacey says it to the character, what he's done the whole time. You're like, is that what's going on? You know, for me anyway, mm-hmm. it was like, is that, is that, is, is, is that what I think it is? It's so what's happening. And then when um, John Doe says it, you know, I remember just that, yeah, that feeling of um, disbelief. I just, I thought it was yeah, a cool moment. And yeah, like I said, it's one of those where I wish I can just erase that from my memory mm-hmm. so I can re-experience that movie again. Well, also watching that too, now that you've seen now like his career, his career progress the way it has, like that really shows like, like that's Brad Pitt can act. He's not just a pretty boy. He's like, he's fucking bringing it. But I mean, for me, that has to be, has to be, I mean, it's the most iconic scene in the movie. It's probably one of the most iconic scenes from the like any film from the '90s for sure. Yeah, um, but I mean, it's just it's fantastic, and it's still like I just found it just as like nail biting. Twenty, you know, twenty plus years from the first time I'd seen it, and actually, when you see that in a packed movie theater, like I wish you could have that experience. Like, well, the audience was dead fucking silent. Yeah. And usually when you go out of a movie, people are talking, you usually hear chatter. People are talking about the the movie or whatever. I seen it in a pretty packed movie theater and it was dead silent. Everybody walking out. No one said anything. Yeah. I I think they just like, they couldn't fucking grasp what they had just seen. And I think that would have been even, I think it would have hit harder if they would have done what they originally wanted to do. I think the, the Freeman, like, you know, monologue kind of dilutes it a little bit not a lot but just mm-hmm. a little bit you know it's like adding like just a splash of water to like a good scotch sure yeah it makes it a little more palatable yeah yeah yeah, yeah i can imagine if it just cuts to black you're almost and then credits start rolling mm-hmm. you're almost as an audience member you're like that's it yeah it just yeah it's just like 
Um, she says. But yeah, I mean that would be, that would be mine. I mean, but yeah, there's a ton of really cool sequences. I think a, a few of the the murder sequences are kind of like really memorable. I know the one that makes me the most uncomfortable is obviously the uh, the sequence with the prostitute and the the prosthetic. Yeah. I, I, to this day, yeah. it still makes me cringe. And I was uh, yeah. reading when I was doing the research that uh, the actor that they interrogated that did that, Leland Orzer, I guess started like breathing in and out real rapidly to get himself in almost an anxiety state to to film that scene. And it kind of showed like he Uh, looked like he was just on edge. Like he was just going to collapse any time. And it was fantastic. But I I think it's between, for me, it'd be between the car ride or the finale, like the final act Mm -hmm. as the best scenes of me. But yeah, I mean, there's, I don't think there's really a wrong answer for that. Yeah, I feel like they, yeah, it's just there's there's so many like I just think visually I just love uh like those the crime scenes. It's always I like watching that and just like pausing it and just kind of looking to see what kind of detail they put mm. into it. You know, there's always just some really cool things to find. Yeah. Um the Paul Walker, uh I said forget about a cuh award for the most memorable <laughs> good or bad line of the movie. Do you, uh that award is named after uh, a little bit of dialogue from Paul Walker's uh, Magnus Opus, Too Fast, Too Furious. When he's walking <laughs> out of a uh, police station, Tyrese Gibson is asking him, trying to get some information from him. And he says to Tyrese as he's getting into his car, he says, I said, forget about a cut. I'd send you the video. But that's what we're calling this award right now. Uh, for the, uh, the most memorable, uh, could be good, could be bad line of the movie so uh what what would be your nominee or your pick uh i think the what's in the box is something that's always memorable to me just the way he says that and it's something for um uh i know at work uh at an old job i had it's something we'd reference a lot like what's in the box every time yeah. you know something comes somebody gets a package you say that right and then so uh for me and you know, i given like just the gravity of what's happening in that scene like it's not a funny thing but out of context it just it sounds funny the way he says it right and Mm -hmm. so i think that's uh something for me like i that's like a memorable thing just because it's something that we kind of mimic and say a lot you know yeah that that was mine too just simply you know working in uh the shipping and receiving industry for so long that anytime you know just fucking around in the warehouse like You'd see somebody open up a box. You'd always yell it like Brad Pitt. They're like, "What's in the box?" <laughs> um, but watching it last night, I mean, my that's my nominee as well. Uh, my choice would be "What's in the box." But uh-huh. the one piece of dialogue that really stuck with me when I watched it last night was when they're in the hospital with the uh, the drug dealing pedophile. The was that sloth. Mm-hmm. When they find the bed, yeah, um, yeah, they're talking to the doctor and they're talking about like basically like you shine a flashlight in this guy's eye, he could die. He's not gonna make it. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about like all the abuse and suffering that he had gone through, and then the doc—I forget the, the exact line—but at the end of it, he says, and he still has hell to come. Oh yeah, and I know what you still, mean. Still just going to hell apathetic. after this. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was just like, man, that is that's fucking deep. But it's also true. Yeah. I mean, this guy is a piece of shit human being that deserves anything that he gets. And he still has suffered for over like a year. 
and he still has to go to hell, you know? I mean, whether you yeah. believe in, you know, religion or not, I mean, it's still like a really, really cool, cool line of dialogue. And it like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's fucking deep. Yeah. You know, I, one of the things I, that I stands out to me in that scene is just, uh, yeah, th- that's the doctor, right? Like no sense of hope or, you know, almost just, uh, almost just apathetic to, to everything that's happening, you know? Yeah. It's almost like he's waiting for this guy to, like, okay, like this guy just, he dies. It just clears up another bed. That's somebody else that I can help. You know, it's like, he's just waiting for right. the end to come for this dude. I think it like his attitude aligns with, I think the people in that world, you know, of, uh, of that, and that's kind of what I, you know, remember thinking about watching that, especially you see him a doctor in his white lab coat and just him to speak that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, it's up with the people in this world, you know? Yeah. Place it's, where it's always learning. <laughs> it's pretty much like that world, uh, is pretty much like no one has any hope at all in that world. Yeah. I will say a bonus nominee was uh, when Arlene Ermy is at the desk talking to Mills and Somerset. And the phone rings. He picks it up. He goes, this isn't even my desk. And he hangs it up. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think it's got to be what's in the box, though. Yeah. Um, the next award is... Sorry, my phone decided to reset to the home screen and it took me out of my notes. Um, the McLovin, uh, we give this award to mm-hmm. the, uh, the scene ceiling performer in a supporting role. So, I mean, it, it can't be the lead. So obviously Pitt and Freeman are out, but, um, it'd be for the best supporting performance in the movie. Um, I, I personally think there's really nobody else you can give this to. He's in the movie for 20 yeah. minutes. It's gotta be Kevin Spacey. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, I would say, yeah, absolutely. That's I would agree, hundred percent for me too. Um, and then in terms of that scene stealing performance, I think his introduction to the movie was just amazing. And then I think you mentioned his dialogue, where you kind of get to learn about him more. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. Like it's, it is uh, hands down. Kevin Spacey for me anyway. Yeah. Well, well, I got, I got some thoughts on his performance, uh, in another category coming up. So I, I'll, I'll table it for that, but, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. um, there's really not a lot to choose from too. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow's not in the movie a lot. So, I mean, I guess she could be a nominee. I think she's, she's good, but I mean, she's not, I think her most memorable scene in the movie is she's not seen it. Her head's in the box. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. she does have that really good scene with uh, Somerset in the diner, though. But um, Arlie Ermy, I mean, he's always kind of a, a cool person to see pop up in a movie. But I mean, it's I mean, it, they don't stand out like Spacey does, and that's yeah. that's pretty much about it in terms of people to choose from. You might get John C. McGinley for a minute, but he's only in the movie for like two minutes. So yeah, it's got to be Spacey. Um, next award is the Welcome to Dumpsville Population You Award for the performer that you would most like to recast. I don't think there's anybody in this that I would recast. I think Fincher does, yeah. usually he does a really good job of like casting his movies. Yeah, I don't think there's anyone I feel like 
I would recast. I feel like there's there's obviously roles that if he, like Gwyneth Paltrow, her role probably could have been played by a number of any other people, and I I feel like it wouldn't have really impacted the movie uh, that much. But yeah, in terms of, I don't feel like there was anyone in the cast where I felt like they they really did a bad job casting. I feel like everyone, uh, it, I think it was cast really well. Well, I think uh, they they made the right call with Paltrow because actually at the time of this movie, her and Pitt were dating. Mm, okay, and, yeah. And, I mean, they you can tell, at least from my point of view, they have a chemistry. They, they work really well together. Yeah, no, and yeah, just to say, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't feel like she should be recast, but I'm just, you know, yeah. saying if, yeah, just if the, if there was a role there, that might be one of, that could be probably be recast. and. I, I guess in my uh, opinion, like I, I don't be like, I don't think I'd be like, oh no, that Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, I don't look at them like, oh no, that was her role, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in terms of like the the uh, major cast members, I just I feel like it was perfect. Yeah, and we discussed earlier. I mean, Pacino and Denzel were considered for this, but I don't think it's as good of a movie with those two. Yeah. No, um, I agree. The unsolved mysteries of the movie, and this is one of those things where I wish Robert Stack were alive. I would write him a letter asking him to like recite that category in his voice. Yeah. So maybe I need to get one of those celebrity like impersonators or like AI deep fake something so yeah, someone yeah, can read that AI. category. Yeah, someone could read uh-huh. that category in his voice. But um the unsolved mysteries of the movie. These are questions that we would have like after the movie, like, you know, something that makes you think um, the only one that I have, and I think it's a pretty obvious one. Like what happens to Mills and Somerset after the events of this movie? Right. I mean, do yeah. you think, do you I think, think that, Somerset uh, retires? Or do you think he stays on? Uh, I, you know, I, for me, I feel like he retires. I feel like this was like, um, I feel like this is something his character would like want to get away from, you know, really because, you know, he'd mentioned he wanted to stay on until he caught John Doe. Right. And I think, uh, just the, 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 what happened, just the events of this movie. I feel like I like to think Somerset would have like that solidified his decision to stop, to retire. See, I'm the opposite. I think, he would have kept like he would have like okay I'm staying on because he failed. John yeah. Doe wins. He get yeah, he commits all he commits yeah. all the crimes. He's beaten the bad guys and he failed David Mills. So I I think for that he would stay because like okay like I can't let this happen again as long as I'm breathing or I can continue to do it. And you can obviously tell he's still a, a fantastic detective. He's a much better detective than David Mills is. Yeah. So, yeah. It would be interesting to I curious, like to see what happened to Mills after that. Like, well, what, what do you think yeah, happens? To no, Mills? I agree. Um, I, uh, I don't it just, I get the feeling it's not good. You know, like it's a, this is a kind of thing that, you know, if they were like to continue their story to see what happens, uh, it seems like, um, and then given kind of like it, throughout the film, I just, he's very, uh, 
I feel like has a tendency to be apathetic, not not to the degree that it seems like everyone else in, in that world does. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like that having that kind of thing happen to you. And then in that world, just feel like it's not a good thing, right? Not the kind of thing that would say, oh, I need to make you a better detective, right? I think it would just have um, really negative repercussions. Yeah, That's kind of how I, you know, the feeling I get out of it. I don't think he goes to jail. Because I think, like, given the circumstances, like, the guy that cut your wife's head off, put it in a box, and took the time to have a courier bring it to a remote location would probably drive you to do the same thing. But I think he, I bet he becomes like a drunk or he becomes like addicted to drugs. And I think uh, he's obviously, I don't think he'll ever be a policeman again. I think like, yeah, you don't go to jail, but you can't be a cop anymore. I think he becomes like a private eye, you know, like, yeah, not a, not a good life. Yeah, he probably lives in a shit apartment. He probably takes jobs know. to support his drinking or his drug habit, and he probably dies. Probably dies young because, like, he just really has nothing to live for. I mean, his wife yeah. was killed. Who? I mean, you see throughout the movie, he obviously loves her. He didn't know that she was pregnant, so yeah. she's carrying his unborn. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I can't see how anyone would live, even like a mediocre life if something like that happens. I think he just kind of, he gets hooked on drugs. He becomes a drunk or both does PI work because he, he's a decent detective. Yeah, but he's not a great one. He's not like Somerset. And then I think he just, you found him. They'll probably find him when he's like 43, 44. He's probably drank himself to death or something. That's That's what I think happens. Yeah. No, I think that 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 line, yeah, just not a good, not a good outcome for him, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, kind of curious to see what uh, or hear what you guys that are listening, what you think happens. Uh, please let us know social media. Shoot me an email, whatever. Um, new category. Um, we test drove this one a few weeks ago with Hard Target, but um. What is the most 1995 moment from this movie? Like, what's the moment in this movie? Like, okay, this movie is obviously made in the 90s. That's a good question. Wow, yeah. What do you, do you have anything on top of your mind? I, gotta, I do. I, I, have I, have a, I have it written down. It's in the car scene when he, you know, John Doe's given his, you know, his monologue and then Pitt basically tells him, like, you're not a, I forget how it goes, but he says you're a movie of the week. You're a mm-hmm. t-shirt at best. And if you remember back in the eighties, back in the nineties, NBC, CBS, ABC, whenever there was a sensational event happen, like say the Menendez brothers, when they killed their parents, they're rushing to make a TV movie so they could show it on Monday night, like Monday night, you know, it's my brother's keeper, the story of Kyle and Lyle Menendez. You know, they, they take, I forgot, this, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they still do it to an extent. Like I know, um, FX has those American crime story movies where like, I know they did one with OJ, but they're like, not like, they're not rushing to make something like something. Oh yeah. They're not so immediate. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, as an example, like the Aaron Hernandez, are you familiar with him? The tight end from the new England Patriots. Yeah. Was a, uh-huh. yeah um, like, they would have made a TV movie within a year of that happening. 
if this were yeah. like the eighties or the nineties and like, they don't really do that anymore. So th- that was the thing that dated the movie to me was the t- like a movie of the week. Cause yeah, I remember all the time you'd always see whether it was the girl that fell down the well in Texas or some sensational murder case or, you know, some story that just grips the country in the newspapers. Like they're making a movie about it. They don't do it yeah. anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, my, uh, wife watched the movie with me and she had said something about like, even though this is the mid nineties, like Somerset's using a typewriter to type out a report. Oh yeah. Okay. And like when they're, uh, printing off the, uh, the list of people that would have checked out books from uh, regarding the seven deadly sins. They have that. What's that printer paper called where it's like white and green and it has the perforated edges on the end and it has oh, that, that uh, matrix. Yeah. That kind of I printer. Think, yeah. Uh-huh. That, that kind of too. But yeah, for me, it was like when he said the movie of the week, I'm like, yep, that's, that's the winner for me. Was that? Yeah. Yeah. That's just, I'll have to go back. I, I, um, you're mentioning that I know there's a scene where they're at their desks and it's, yeah, they don't, none of them have computers. They're in a whole, you know, thing. And now that, that is something that would, looks odd now. Cause you're like, how are you getting work done? You know? Yeah. Or like, even when she calls him to invite Somerset over for dinner, there's like, that would have been a cell phone now. And it would have been a yeah, text right. message. It wouldn't have been a phone call. Yeah. Uh-huh. No doubt. Um, another new category we've been test driving here lately. Uh, I really need to get like a restaurant to sponsor this. So just for the sake of getting someone to listen to this, we're going to call this one for this week. The Bob Evans presents the hot takes off the skillet for like a hot take you have about this movie. Um, yeah, I kind of went into it earlier that this movie should have been nominated for best picture, at least best nominated. I think it has a strong chance to win, but uh, my hot take is watching this today. I really think that in the, if you were to rank the top 10 greatest movie villains of all time, I think Kevin Spacey's John Doe is definitely in the top 10. And I think he's closer to five than he is to 10. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Just because like it, in movies, it's not too often that the villain wins and the villain wins in this movie. He yeah. ends up corrupting one of the heroes in the process. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't, I, I just, and he's just such a cold and chilling character that like with no remorse at uh-huh. all, and he truly, truly believes what he's doing is the right yeah. thing. He was willing to die. Yeah. That's one of the things that I, I that always stuck to me with that. I was like, wow. But like you recognize it wasn't like he was the above it. He recognized that he uh, was susceptible to those same sins Yep, and recognized what he had to do. Yeah. It's really, yeah, totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause there's not a lot of villains would be willing to sacrifice their own lives to, to, you know, for, do the, that, for their cause, on, especially on principle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just watching that today. I was just like, I was like, fuck, he is, a phenomenal villain. And like, I don't know, like I wouldn't put him in the, the Darth Vader, Hans Gruber. Like I, to me, the the Mount Rushmore has always been uh, Darth Vader, Hans Gruber, Hannibal Lecter, 
and uh, Uncle or Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory as the greatest movie <laughs> of all time. Yeah, that old, lazy, that old lazy bum. He's a villain just because he's a piece of shit to his family. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I John Doe is just, and I I really think that he's probably closer to that that top five than he is the bottom mm-hmm. half of the top ten. Which is yeah. I mean, the fact that he doesn't get mentioned enough is kind of kind of a crime. Because I mean, like a lot of people, like oh, yeah. I know when they rank villains now, like especially with the, uh, and I think this has a lot to do with like just comic book movies have kind of overtaken the movie industries. Like they're pretty much like most of the studios that do them, they depend on them, so they're kind of like in the cultural zeitgeist right now for the yeah. film industry. So they kind of other villains kind of get pushed to the side because you know, like okay, is this person? They're not as good as Thanos. They're not as good as the Joker, which I would say sure. Heath Ledger's Joker is in that that fourth spot, not Grandpa Joe, but Grandpa Joe is definitely in the top ten. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, like he's just I think he's everything that personifies a villain, and I I, just, I think he's fantastic as the yeah. villain, and yeah. I- I think a lot of he probably doesn't come to mind for a lot of people because uh, I think you mentioned he's get 20 minutes of screen time, right? You focus more on his work than the actual character, right? So a lot of times people probably don't even think of, you know, John Doe as like the person rather than just, the, I guess, the results, right? When well, I think now, I think now with Kevin Spacey too, kind of like what he's done outside of, like, oh, his, sure. Yeah, it's probably kind of yeah. like, it's like with anybody, like they've kind of, he's been kind of canceled by society. So it kind of like, I've always been the person that I'm able to separate the person from the work. So like mm-hmm. Mel Gibson, like I'll still watch Lethal Weapon, even though I I think Mel Gibson's not a very good human being. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to stop yeah. me from watching Lethal Weapon or The Patriot or. Yeah. Yeah, it'll stop me from watching Braveheart, but I'm not a big fan of Braveheart. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, and same with Kevin Spacey, yeah. like I'll. I'll watch like the usual suspects. I mean, I watched seven today, you know, or yesterday, you know, I'll watch his stuff. That doesn't mean that the performance isn't good because he is a, you know, an animal essentially in human form. Sure. So, and I think it has a lot to do with it too. I think I kind of, anything he's done gets overshadowed by that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's, that's definitely true. Well, do you have any hot takes? Bob Bob um, Evans I, is well, listening. What what would what, you say? Bob Evans is listening. Maybe you get a sun uh, sunrise yeah. <laughs> sun, skillet or whatever the fuck their well, breakfast well, stuff's called. Let me know when. Let me know when Denny's is sponsoring. I'll have. Uh, oh, dude, Denny's no. or if Waffle House jumped on board, yeah. they sent me a like. Listen, we want we want in. I'll fuck. We'll yeah. sponsor that. Like we'll you know if you call it like the. You know the smothered and covered hot take yeah. award. I I would like, yeah, yep. <laughs> I I'll put it. I'll bump it to the fucking top of the the show. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, absolutely. I'll even change no, the name of the show to Waffle House presents the Couch Potato Podcast. I would just. <laughs> well, it'd be better if they put a you know put some either some episodes or wrote a song for you and you know on their jukebox. 
their Waffle House themed uh, jukebox. They had one for you. They'll just have uh, the the stock song that I've got from my Rode uh, Procaster. Yeah. <laughs> you just hit like A7 and it plays that song for like 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. Uh, but you no no hot takes? No, man. I think, yeah, I'd like yours. All right. Good deal. Um, last category that we have is the uh, the Hall of Fame. I come up with a have some uh, categories or, you know, particular, uh, you know, things about the movie. If they were making a Hall of Fame, like a wing of a movie Hall of Fame, would this particular movie go into it? So I um, have a few here. Uh, would this be a uh, Hall of Fame contender for uh, movies that contain a lot of rain? Oh, absolutely! Yeah. I, in fact, I can't. I can't think of a. I can't think. I think this and Blade a, Runner. I think uh, I can't remember where I heard it, but uh, somebody was critiquing this film and made it the joke that David Fincher must uh, have a lot of investing a lot of money in companies that make uh, rainmaking machines. He must hold a lot of stock in companies that make rainmaking machines. Well, good for him, man! I would have fucking done the same thing. Um. um what about Brad Pitt hairstyles? Oh, this is a good, yeah, this is a good, uh, cause I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes. And I'm only saying yes, because I remember after this movie came out, I tried for a good five or six months to get that same hairstyle and I could never quite get yeah. it right. I remember watching, I remember wanting to emulate that look. Yeah. This, that, the, uh, the messed yeah, up spiky hair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I could never get it like his. And it fucking frustrated me to no end in the morning. Like, fuck. And then it turns yeah. out, like, later on when I got older, I was like, oh, you just throw some stuff in your hair before you go to bed and just wake up like that. And it, it's fine. And, but now I can't even yeah. fucking do it, which makes me even more angry. Well, step one to having Brad Pitt like hair is step one, be Brad Pitt. Yeah. Step two, also right. be Brad if Pitt. Can't meet, if you can't meet step one, then just stop. Yeah. <laughs> stop now. Um, what about twist endings? Um, ooh, um, or uh, let me rephrase that movie twist in movies. Yeah. Because like there's some movies that have incredible twists that are not in the, like the, the end of the movie. So it's movie twist. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one where, um, I, I think for me, it's, it's a more memorable one. I, you know, in terms of like, is like so when uh when he uh turns himself in right and then that whole sequence starts uh for me and then you kind of see how the main characters or at least one of them brad pitt is brought into it you know that unexpectedly i think for me uh, that would put it in the top for me mm. yeah i w- i would say i think for me it's probably this movie uh the sixth sense Yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. Which, uh, I watched that not too long ago, and outside of the like the twist, it's still a surprisingly good movie. It, it really is. Yeah. It just, I think, like some of it gets a little spoiled because you kind of know what happens now. And you know what? I hate those fucking people that say like, "Oh, I figured it out in the first five minutes." Like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You fucker. <laughs> You're such a liar. I can't. Yeah. St- I can't stand like talking to people like that. Movie like, oh, I I knew it was 15 minutes in the movie. He was dead. Like, no, he didn't. Shut up, dude. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think this one has to be 
uh, in the conversation as well. Um, I think uh, Kevin Spacey uh, revealed as Kaiser Soze uh, has to be it too. And then uh, I don't know, man. I I think it's down to it's between the prestige and then Fight Club where you find out that Tyler Durden is just a figment of his imagination. Like that caught me completely off guard too. So. But yeah, that, that'll be I, uh, the prestige. I forgot about that one. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good. That revelation on that one's a good one too. I forgot yeah. about that. I tell you what, I will bring you on when we do an episode, and I just wrote it down: the greatest movie twist. Movie I like. History. Yeah, that's a, that'll be a fun one. Yeah, because yeah. I'm just going down like this list now, and oh, scratch that primal fear. That twist is that knocks my fucking socks off. Have you ever seen Primal Fear? I dude, I don't think I'm familiar with that. I'm excited now that I have something uh, to okay. look up here. Okay, uh, do you want me to tell you, or you just want to watch the movie? I recommend watching it. It's re- I'm not a big Richard Gere fan, but it's like it's really good. I'm trying to see, yeah, I don't know. Oh, it's Richard Gere and Edward. Norton. I'm familiar with this movie, but I've I don't think I'm I not enough for to be familiar with the twist you're talking about. So I am gonna watch this. Yeah, go watch it. Text me. Yeah. Let me know what you think. It's it'll fucking knock your socks off. Trust me. Um. All right, last one here, and uh, my fucking microphone is blocking my phone, so I can't even. Uh. Look at okay. Two more. Um. I've got opening credit sequences. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I think I mentioned this earlier. This is, I'm one of the first movies I can remember with that, had Oh, an, an opening sequence like that mm. outside of, I, Oh, I remember like bond movies always having. So I was familiar with those. Right. But one like this to where it's actually setting the tone, like you're getting almost like this FPV view of of this character and i yeah i think this is uh definitely for me would be uh going the hall of fame there yeah i i think like uh i know like i can't really come up with like another one that's like a peak one but i really dig uh um casino royale like i really like the opening sequence that where you get chris Mm -hmm. cornell's uh you know my name and it's doing the the poker stuff with bond i thought that was really cool too and even zombie land where it's Playing the for whom the bell tolls, where they're just mm-hmm. zombies are just wiping out people. Those are a couple of personal favorites yeah. of mine. All right, the last one: um, uncredited performances in movies. Yeah, this is definitely a top one. Yeah, I, I think it's the best one. Yeah, because I was just going through a list there. Like I said, yeah, like Matt Damon and um, uh, Interstellar would be another good one. But yeah, I think in terms of like uncredited. This one is like, this is the alpha. Like, this is the one that, like you have the to top. Yeah, I'm just yeah, trying to see yeah. one, but... so it's so interesting. I didn't realize that until you said that. It makes so much sense that he wouldn't be credited in that. Yeah, like you would have, it would have, you would have, it would have thrown everything way off. That's that's really good. Well, usually when I see, like, I find out an actor is in a movie and it's uncredited, it's because. Um, they're either, they don't like the movie. Like they see the final cut. Like I want nothing to do with this. Or, um, in the case of the firm, like the, uh, Tom Cruise movie from the early nineties, Gene Hackman goes uncredited in that. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it had something to do with 
he wanted to be billed on the same line as Tom Cruise. He wanted mm. it to be Tom Cruise, Gene Hackman, the firm, which I I love. I'm a huge Gene Hackman fan, but there's no fucking way. Like Tom Cruise is yeah. like in the last 50 years, there's probably maybe a handful of movie stars that are like on that level. And Gene Hackman's not one of them. Right. Um, so he went uncredited in the firm and I thought it had something to do with like a money dispute or something like that. But no, it was like when I was researching this, it was purely intentional to not ruin the surprise of who John Doe was and just, okay. Yeah, that's man. I, it's interesting when you have a, a script to where that becomes necessary, you know, like it's, I feel like that's a unique script where you have to, um, um, detail like that would throw would th- would reveal so much about it. Right. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, they, you can't even do that anymore. Like with the internet, the way it is, like yeah. there's no way you can pull that off anymore. Cause somebody would leak something like, Oh, like, uh, like the last really good uncredited performance that I could think of off the top of my head was uh speaking of Tom Cruise was him as Les Goldman in uh, Tropic Thunder. He's uncredited oh, yeah. in that, but I think that was also kind of intentional. Yeah. But yeah, there's no way you can I think even when that movie came out, the internet kind of spoiled it ahead of time. I mean, you kind of know it's Tom Cruise, but not knowing, like I know I think my wife didn't know that was Tom Cruise at first till she kind of like took a good look at it when we seen it in theaters. Yeah. But yeah, I think the internet spoiled Tom Cruise in that. Yeah. No, there's no way you can get away with it now. Yeah, that's true. Everyone. Yeah. I, it's so interesting how things get spoiled now, either accidentally or just, gosh, it's so easy. You just see, you see cast members going on set, right? Just getting a picture and then you get, you know, it's pretty easy to figure out what they're working on sometimes. Or if Tom Holland is in the neighborhood, Tom Holland yeah. will spoil it too. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Well, that's hey, dude, that's that's all I've got today. Uh, is there anything you want to add before we wrap this up? Uh, go see Seven. If you haven't watched it, uh, just the audience, go see it. It's yeah. a fantastic, fantastic. Uh, it's just a great movie. Yeah. Rent it. Yeah. Buy it, stream it on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, awesome streaming service. Can't recommend it enough. They've gotten a lot better with their catalog. I know I used to complain all the time about their lack of their big hits, but they seem to have been on a roll lately. So uh, Paramount Plus gets the Couch Potato Podcast stamp of approval. Go check out Seven now. And be sure to check us out each and every week. We drop new episodes Find us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. If you like what you heard today, please support the show by giving us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Threads. I will say it once again. I know I need to get better at TikTok, so we'll eventually be on TikTok. We'll release that information on there at some point. The links are in the show description. Send us an email. Let us know what your thoughts. If you've got any show ideas that sound really cool, if you want to let me know how much this show sucks, how awesome it is, I want to hear it. Shoot us an email. That's also in the show description. So until next week, we will talk to you guys later.